Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 35 of the Leakage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. Uh, this episode is for the week of July 17th, 2021. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Brian Reynolds, Vice President of Marketing uh, for Episcopal Retirement Services, and I'm here with Kristen Davenport, our Director of Communications and our Executive Producer. How are you, Kristen? Hey, Brian. I am just uh, enjoying summer, as I think most people are, and I'm glad to be here with you today. Yeah, it's been a fun summer so far, although a little little soggy at times, but uh, still enjoying the summer nonetheless. So the Linkage Podcast is dedicated to educating our audience about issues regarding aging, informing people about the mission of ERS, and how that comes to life in our everyday interactions with our residents, our clients, families, and staff members. So Kristen, you want to tell us about uh, our show that we've got coming up? We've got some terrific guests with us today, Brian. We have Jenna Refermina. Jenna is a summer enrichment intern who is with Mm -hmm. us from Leading Age. We're really pleased to have her on the show. Um, Also, one of our residents from Dupree House in Hyde Park in Cincinnati, and that is Pearson Davis. Uh, Of course, we're going to get an update from President and CEO Laura Lamb, so I think it's going to be a great show. Yeah, great show lined up. Uh, And with that said, you want to introduce your first guest? Yeah, so Pearson Davis and I have spent some time together over the last few weeks. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's nice to be able to connect with our residents now in person. We started the podcast when we really couldn't do that, but uh, I got him interested in this whole idea of a podcast. He wanted to uh, try it out because uh, he admitted to me that he's quite a talker. So he and I had a, (laughs) a terrific conversation and everybody welcome Pearson to the show. Let me welcome to the Linkage Podcast, uh, Debris House resident, Pearson Davis. Thanks for being here, Pearson. Well, I'm glad to be here if I can be of any help. That's wonderful. You sure can because uh, I know as a Debris House resident, well, you know about everything at Debris House because you've lived here quite a while. Is that right? Uh, Ten years. Ten years. That's a good long time. Well, a lot of people longer than that. Yeah. Well, at some not everybody at Dupree House has that you do is that um, knowledge of our affordable living communities. So would you tell our listeners just how you got connected with um, senior housing for those um, that maybe need a a low-income place to live? Well, our senior warden at St. Thomas out in Terrace Park was also a vice president president of Home Loan Bank, I think it was. <clears throat> and she was up on needs. And she said there are 600 homeless families in Claremont County. What are we going to do about it? There was a committee of, I guess, about six that met. The, over a period of time, St. Tom, or Thomas and Woods evolved. It was through a lot of other action like site selection and First, we had to make up our mind to do something. So we were going to take care of all 600 families. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we came close, I guess. <clears throat> we got into it, and we realized that was you know, just a pipe dream. What you'd like to do and what you can do are two different things. Two or three meetings, we evolved to 
we would do what we could and depend on money available. And I don't remember all the exact part that went through, but we finally determined that we could, we needed to do 100 families. That was what. 100 families? 100 units, yeah. residential units. That's still, I mean, that's a pretty lofty goal. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had set up separate committees. I was on site selection and affordability or something. And Peggy and I went out with a couple other people looking at property that was available. One of them was a real nice level site, but it's under power lines. Mm. And so there's a uh, CG&E at Daywater then, not Duke now, mm-hmm. have a right-of-way across that property. Plus, at that time, there was a big rumor that if you lived within 100 yards of a line, it would affect your brain. I remember that. Yeah. I think that's what they call pseudoscience now. In fact, I've just been reading an article on pseudoscience. That was typical of a pseudoscience or a fringe science is another name. But they were just the right size, but we didn't like to have to work with the towers and and at that time the belief that you didn't want to live under a power line. Mm -hmm. We kept looking, finally... uh, we found that put in 100 units, we need to put have 12 acres minimum. And we find, found the site that they're on now, and it was 12.1 acres. Required a little site work to make it usable. We tied up the property. We didn't have the money at that point to buy it. Then we started looking at what we could do with it. And then we realized it was bigger, even though some of us wanted to do it ourselves, it was bigger than one parish could handle. So we hired a developer out of Columbus. They put together a proposal. We accepted it. They came through with all the drawings and specifications for the buildings. And Peggy and another architect and I went over it. We spent quite a few evenings on his living room floor with the drawings, critiquing them. And his wife was on the life squad, so he couldn't leave. Mm, That's why it was on their living room floor. Went on, we found that particular site, and the developer produced all the drawings and the site work and everything else to do it. And his price was right. We took out a loan for four and a half million dollars, which is a lot of money then. Especially then, yeah. yes. Yeah. Not, not a small chunk of change now. That was now, in the late but, 80s. Right. One thing led to another, and we got it built. We had a big groundbreaking ceremony. It was 15 degrees that day. Oh, no. But <laughs> <laughs> a big tent. We yeah. came down to break, time to break ground, and it was frozen solid. Oh, no. A very small shovel full of dirt then. No, she got hold of the, no, the... Actually, the developer was there and the contractor. And they had to bring a backhoe in and cut a trench and then refill it with soft, broken-up dirt and a battery about... At least 10 dignitaries got out there with their shovels that had been painted gold. Peggy was one of the groundbreakers because she was involved with that. I had to wait, of course, to start work until it thawed out a little right. bit. Well, Thomaston is a very interesting community uh, among the 30 affordable living communities that ERS either owns or manages because not only is there that family living um, community, but on the same property, there's um, independent living for seniors. Yeah, the seniors, Thomas and Meadows. How did you guys come to decide to add that piece 
to the community. Well, we, we'd always hoped to add, oh, we'd hope we'd make enough money off of that, not profit seeking, but just uh, that we could build another whole thing. Well, it didn't work out that way. That was no more practical than housing all 600 families. Over time, well, I guess exposure, I was on the ERS board for quite a while. Yes, you were. Time, I don't remember how it evolved that we'd do the senior. Well, Doug Spittler and I were friends. And I don't know how much he influenced me. In fact, I think he was sort of surprised when we did senior mm-hmm. stuff out there. It was too small, actually, for ERS to get particularly involved with it. Mm-hmm. But then uh, we sold them half, well, 80% of the whole project because we needed, and they talked with you before about needing new roofs. Yeah, ERS has that um, <clears throat> particular experience and expertise in um, low-income housing tax credits, which is how we've been able to develop no. or redevelop a lot of our communities. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so that was a a good partnership for us yeah. that's gone on for what six or seven years now it's been quite a while yeah we had for by ourselves from 89 through until ers got involved mm-hmm. well one thing there was the design of the place start out people were advocating these four apartment building two-story no we didn't want that because the common hallways and those things were breeding grounds for teen problems. Mm-hmm. So we decided to build row houses. Each each unit was its own individual unit with a front and back door. And they were all two and three bedroom. I don't remember what the distribution was. But uh, along came the government. We tried to avoid the government. <laughs> but we had to have 20% uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, supported. The HUD program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we operated, they were just spread through the place. Nobody knew who was. Right. We had to have uh, end up six handicapped. We had six handicapped and no handicapped people wanted to live in them. Oh. So we rent them out to regular folks mm-hmm. on the chance that if somebody needed it, we'd help move them out. Right. So the other people get in never happened that way. Then we built a community building with it that had uh, an office for the rental agent, an office for St. Thomas's rep on site, and she did all kinds of organized activities. Mm-hmm. She was a counselor for the residents, mm-hmm. and she was well qualified and did a great job. I thought we had a change of staff all around and she decided she'd work in a similar spot that was connected with her church. Hmm. You know, she left. Yeah. And that's when ERS started getting involved. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've kept that model of having support for residents because it's important. Well, we had a community room with a little kitchen and an office for her and an office for rental. And then we had a garage for the uh, equipment. Garage is now a computer room for the kids and a homework room. That was the original idea, the homework room. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've talked to, on this podcast, I've talked to three, I think, <laughs> residents from Thomaston, well, and um, it, it's interesting to hear their stories. They have, you know, 
amazing stories to tell too and uh, a lot of community pride there uh, which I love I love to hear yeah, that's good well then we the community building had a laundry and the community room and the two offices and the uh, homework room wow and there was a regulation pool table with the slate yeah everything wow that's amazing yeah. I didn't know there were pool table hobbies that's that's a new one on well, me. That's he fantastic. A, he made a telescope, and he made the pool table, and he made a, a remote-controlled sailboat. <laughs> fantastic. Well, um, Pearson, I know that your career um, as an architect, um, you did a lot of things. You you know, we're, we're always engaged in um, not only your career, but also your, your giving back work with Thomaston. Mm -hmm. um, What's your daily routine like, though? I know I know you're still active and you still do things, and even if it's just in your apartment, what kind of things kept, especially during the pandemic, what kind of things kept you going? Oh, reading. I don't turn TV on until the 6 o'clock news. Good for you. <laughs> I subscribe to Discover Magazine and two archaeology magazines, and when those come through, there's a lot of reading in them. Yeah. And then I read journals and Got a couple of books I'm partway through. Yeah. Where did you get interested in archaeology? Always was. From when I was a kid. I don't know why. Yeah. I guess I was in high school and I went over to UC during the summer and I wanted to talk to Carl Blagan, who was the head archaeologist at, at UC. And he did a lot of research at Troy. And I was interested in uh, Egypt and Troy and that stuff. He wasn't there. He was... The guy who was was interested in the Southwest Indian culture and the whole early American stuff. Well, I wasn't. I think he was a little miffed at me when I didn't get interested in his stuff. <laughs> if I had, I'd probably be, be an archaeologist now. Yeah. I'm just interested in the past and digging yeah. digging stuff up. And so did you ever travel to that part of the world? Never got beyond central Italy going that direction. Love that part of the world. That's. Yeah. Uh, I would like to have gone back, but it didn't work out. So. Yeah. England, Wales, Holland, Belgium, France, a little bit of Germany. Mm -hmm. We traveled with a Jewish couple, and her family had been ill-treated, let's say, by the Germans. Mm -hmm. She didn't want anything to do with Germany. Yeah, yeah. So we were headed from uh, Amsterdam to Interlaken, and... Uh, he got a little later than we intended, so we stopped to, oh, I can't remember the French city. And they were having a great big expo or something there, and there wasn't a room in there. Well, across the river in Kell, which is in Germany, uh, they have space. Mm -hmm. So Harriet screwed up her courage and went to Germany. <laughs> and we oh, had a delightful room in a little old hotel, spent a couple of days. Traveling's fun. That's yeah. that's. I hope to get back to that someday. Right now, it's still a little bit of a. I would like to travel if I didn't have to fly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, it's. Uh, I'm not afraid of flying. It's not that problem. It's the mess and inconvenience and everything else. We were just talking about that the other day. You kind of have to. Um, we were talking actually talking about Hawaii. I don't know if you've ever been there, yeah. but that's a long. That's a lot of flying <laughs> to get there. Um, so I, I don't know if I'll ever make it there, but we'll see. Procter & Gamble 
sent me out to Bechtel Engineering in San Francisco. We lived in San Francisco for a year. A wonderful year, I thought. Yeah. I'm not sure Peggy was so interested. All our children were back here. <laughs> While we were there, we, they were members of the Nature Center, and they had a, a week-long trip to Hawaii. Nice. So we joined in, but we, we flew separately from San Francisco over there and joined them in Honolulu. That's the only reason I got there. That's but we, we made all 50 states. Did you really? Yeah. <clears throat> wow. That's fantastic. What a, what a great goal. That's, I don't know if that's on my bucket list, but I, that I'm, I admire you for, for doing that. But yeah, flying from San Francisco well, we yeah. sounds a lot better for sure. <laughs> we didn't uh, intend to do it. Really? It worked out. Yeah. Well, you're giving me a lot of uh, tips and ideas. <laughs> we had a guide coming down from uh, through Norway up over to Oslo for uh, I guess what it was like under the Nazi, and she said, ask me later. I asked her, and she was very reluctant to answer. Just mm -hmm. she and Peggy and I were together. Mm -hmm. She said, well, the Nazis came in. Oh, I said, why is Norway so friendly to the Americans, where most of Europe is not? That's when she said, well... The Nazis came in and they took over everything. They started with our fishing fleets and then our land business and our government, totally government, took over everything. Our fleets, our men, our, and our young women. And I think she was one of them. So I dropped it at that point. Yeah. But oh, what she said was uh, the war was over and the Nazis left and here came the Americans, and we thought, here we go, all over again. She said, Americans came in, the first thing we had back was our fishing fleet. Next thing we had back was all our government. She didn't say anything about the women or anything, but, and she said, why shouldn't we? Oh, and then here came the Marshall Plan. Right. And she said, why shouldn't we love the Americans? But still, the same thing happened in other places. Yeah. And we weren't that well regarded. Right. <clears throat> That's an interesting perspective and interesting to hear it straight from somebody that lived it. Yeah. When you travel, you want to get to know the people or somebody. Now, in France, that's not easy. <laughs> I've been to France and I, uh, I concur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were coming on the train, we'd been in. Uh, you know, in Austria, and trains come and they meet the ones coming up from Constantinople in that area, in a little spot in Switzerland. We had a nice chair car coming through there, and we were supposed to have a bedroom on the train into Paris. Well, it was occupied by the train crew. One of them was, they, you know, the, the French, they just they couldn't really hear you. Yes. <laughs> so, France said, pourquoi? He looked at me and he started speaking English. Ah. I guess he figured I understood all the stuff he was saying. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. A total 180 degree change just for over one word for why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pearson, it's been great talking to you and, and telling stories and hearing all your stories. And um, it was uh, a real pleasure 
well, um, to you. get to know you today. Thank you. Obviously, I like to talk. <laughs> in fact, there was a time when I was a kid at the dinner table, and my dad finally turned to me and said, oh, shut up. <laughs> well, then you and I are uh, in the same category because my nickname was Chatterbox. So. <laughs> I was probably eight years old at that point. <laughs> I concur. All right. Well, thank you so much. Wow, Kristen, uh, you called it. He can really talk. And uh, it, it was fun to, to learn a little bit more about Pearson, uh, you know, his his great career as an architect and his wife and uh, his involvement with ERS and being on the board for 17 years and, and, and his travels. I mean, gosh. What what a guy! Uh, what 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 a guy full of ex- experiences to share. That's for sure. Um, we could have talked for hours, really, literally. And um, who knew that the common thread in in this podcast was going to be Hawaii? But um, <laughs> heard a little bit about Hawaii from Pearson, and I think we're going to hear about it some more in the rest of the show. Right. So I guess coming up next, we're going to hear from newly, freshly back from her vacation in Hawaii. President and CEO, Lara Lamb, who's got some updates uh, for all things ERS for us. So we're back this week here at the end of July, Lara. Uh, it's so good to be back with you after your vacation. And I had a vacation. How was your vacation in Hawaii? Oh, Brian, it was just magical. It was, we were celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary and we had our, our whole, both of our children and their significant others with us. And we had uh, the most amazing time. Thanks for asking. Yeah, that's great. And we, we've definitely got uh, a theme uh, for Hawaii. We have an upcoming segment with our uh, leading age uh, summer enrichment intern, Jenna uh, Reformina. And I, I was wondering if you could kind of bring your uh, perspective before we air this segment on um, on the inter- internship and, and really the, just the great program that Leading Age is, has identified as a need to bring some diversity to our industry. Oh, I would love to. Um, over the Uh, actually at the last leading age conference last fall, it was virtual. And I attended one of the sessions, Brian, and I heard about this um, summer enrichment program that they were piloting after um, a a friend of mine, their organization in Michigan had started it and leading age got wind of it and wanted to expand it. So I was so proud of of my friends at um, Presbyterian Villages of Michigan uh, for kind of um, giving us this idea. And essentially, it's a reflection that, unfortunately, leadership and aging services is not diverse at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So only uh, 17 um, (laughs) leading age um, CEOs across the country 17% 17% are women, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, terrible <laughs> considering that women, um, it's really actually a women dominated industry. If you look at all staff, but not in a leadership role and then get this, Brian, um, less than 1%. So actually one half of a percent, that means one in 200, yeah. um, CEOs and aging services are black. Wow. That's yeah. dis- dismal. It is. It is. And I, and I have to say, you know, 
we have to do better. Right. Right. So when I heard this, I, I thought, wow, are we doing enough? And of course we're doing some stuff in terms of making sure that we have opportunities for underrepresented folks within our team, but why can't we be a part of the bigger picture? So leading ages summer enrichment program is specifically designed for underrepresented Um, college students uh, to come to leading age member facilities and have a wonderful uh, summer internship, Mm -hmm. a 10-week internship with um, some of the best communities across the country. So Mm -hmm. ERS was, um, we know for a fact that we were one of the first organizations to raise our hand and say, of course, we will have an intern. Um, I'm a little biased. I think interns are wonderful. Right. <laughs> I think it, it's a great opportunity to get people in, interested. Yep. And, and really, I always say, help them understand that aging services is just a beautiful career path with right. so many different ways to, to really minister and serve mm-hmm. uh, elders. So, so Jenna... Um, is from Hawaii. She's a Pacific Islander, very much underrepresented in our field. And she is working on her degree in public health. Mm -hmm. And um, boy, you're in for a treat. She is an amazing woman. Um, I had the opportunity to be with her multiple times and um, in person as well while she was on site. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment um, where I thought, you know, Brian, I might be in, I might be interacting with the future CEO in our industry. And it was wow. just a neat, neat moment. And Jenna, Jenna's interested in coming back after she wow. graduates. And I think she might um, be working on her administrator degree with us. Yeah, that's, I, I, there's a little bit of a, a, a teaser here right now, but she definitely, you know, in our taped segment, uh, really seem to show that interest in that leadership position. So that was really, really cool to hear. And that would be beautiful. That's what it's all about. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if I'm telling you too much, but she, <laughs> she just, um, her experience with us, you know, she really has reflected on what feedback could she give her university? Mm-hmm. Um, because candidly, they, Maybe they they don't highlight the rich career opportunities in senior living. So I was excited about that, that she wanted to go back and help Mm -hmm. help her program do better in this area. Yeah, that you definitely hear that in her interview. Good, Uh, good, good. She did did a great job. So we'll look forward to airing that here in a few minutes. Um well 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 wonderful. And so I guess turning on to another a very important topic of the summer. I, I know we've we've spent the first half of this year really opening up and you know uh, life getting a little bit more back to normal inch by inch, day by day and, and but we also find ourselves in a, another cycle where we're finding this delta variant is really r- raging through our communities, um, particularly through unvaccinated communities. But nonetheless, it seems to be everywhere. And you know, ERS has certainly been very proactive through all this in our our policies and uh, following the guidelines and really 
making the safety of our residents number one priority. But I guess going into this variant and hearing it's getting scary again, and we've had a lot of tools to, to rely on, but I, I guess I'm thinking now at this point, what, what other tools do we have in our toolbox that really can help for the safety of our residents and even our fellow staff going forward? Boy, that's a really good question. And I can tell you that's what our, our team spends um, constant energy just saying, okay, what have we done? Mm-hmm. I haven't, what, where, what do, what can we do to, to help people? And Brian, you know, we've spent so much time wow. educating and helping people with, you know, answering their questions about the vaccine, you know, making sure that all of our standards, all of our strategies are up to date. And I, I just, I have to just be real direct there. There is a way out of this pandemic mm-hmm. and it's the vaccine, right? And, you know, we, I'm really proud of where we are as a staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have some of the highest rates of uh, vaccination acceptance among our residents in, in the city, right. talking to peers, you know, our staff rates um, are very, very high. Mm-hmm. Um, people look at them and they wonder why I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed because it's not hundred percent, Brian. Right. Right. And if we have a tool, if we have a tool that works, that's proven to work, that mm-hmm. has proven to save life and um, to limit the, the, the length and the severity of an illness, right. and it's right in our reach, mm-hmm. then, you know, not all businesses, but you know how I feel, those of us that have said we care and we care for the most vulnerable people in our society when it comes to this, this terrible virus. Right. And the Delta virus is 233% more contagious. Right. Yes. (laughs) Um, As if COVID wasn't highly transmissible enough, this new variant is that much more. Exactly. So we have a pandemic of unvaccinated people. Right. So what are we going to do? You know what? We're going to do what ERH always does. We're going to make the tough decision and we are going to require our staff that want to, to continue to serve Mm -hmm. and serve the most vulnerable to, to make sure that we have a commitment to making sure that we're not part of the problem. We're not spreading, you know, no one else has to die from this. No one else has to die. Right. It's completely preventable at this point. It's it's preventable at this point. So I, we, you, our organization, our board, we have to do everything in our power. And what does that mean? That means that we have to mandate the vaccine. Yeah. Obviously with um, the American with Disabilities Act exceptions, of course we would comply with that, but Mm -hmm. We're not a manufacturer. We're not an office where we, we full-time sole mission is to care for elders. And um, I, I don't know any way out mm-hmm. of this pandemic without using that tool. And that is vaccination. Right. And I, I know just through our own personal discussions on this topic, 
you believe in people's right to choose, but in this industry, when it's the most vulnerable, you know, we need to look out for, for those, those people that are vulnerable. Yeah. And and absolutely, Brian, I do. I absolutely believe that everyone has a choice. Um, I would just change what you said and not have a, but it's everybody has the choice. Mm -hmm. And then ERS has the responsibility to protect our residents. So those things sometimes are compatible, right? But they're not in this case. So somebody's right to choose not to take the vaccine. They have that. We will just need to help them find a different organization to serve right. um, because we, we need to have a fully vaccinated team so that our residents and their, their fellow staff members can enjoy life vaccinated, a fully vaccinated life. Right. And our, and our residents deserve that. Right. They deserve that. And we're going to do everything in our power to give them that, aren't we? I mean, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we all know it was a challenging year and so many people rose to the occasion when we didn't have all those tools and we were mitigating, but, you know, I think to your point, the gift is to be able to, you know, give that to our residents so that they can ensure their, their safety and their health. Right. Right. And they can have the liberties that we all, you know, I feel like, you know, people think the, the COVID is gone. It's not, it's not over. And, you know, people are out there enjoying life. And every time something happens in a community that, that closes up opportunities, shuts down our elders and, um, we can't do that anymore. We can't. Right. We right. have the tool. We have the tool. And like I said, nobody else needs to die from this. Right. We have a solution. Right. And and I, I think I I just like to point out, you know, you and our team are putting together a, a bunch of resources about the safety and the efficacy and the importance of the vaccine on our website. Um, that'll be able to be found at www.episcopalretirement.com slash vaccine info. Um, but you've done a wonderful job of pulling together some resources to share and, and, and the reasons to, to do this as well. Thank you, Brian. And thank you for your help. It's been a team effort, but you know, we've been resource rich and science-based since the beginning. So pulling those resources together so that you know, our listeners, our staff, our families, our residents have one place to go and at their fingertips to, to maybe to send to maybe a family member that is hesitant. You know, I, I hope, I hope folks use the resources that we've assembled. Great. Well, I, such a heavy topic, mm-hmm. but I, I really appreciate you, you sharing that. And I, I'm sure there's more information and, and we'll be sharing more resources as, as time goes on, but uh, thank you for your time this week. And uh, we'll look forward to, to, to updating everyone again and getting together real soon again. Great. Thank you, Brian. Brian, that was a really wonderful update. It's great to hear from Laura. It's great to hear that she had a good vacation and uh, she sounds fresh and back at it already. Yeah, always wonderful to get the updates from her and uh, and kind of learn what's going on new around our communities and our services. 
So with that being said, let's turn to our interview with our leading age summer enrichment intern, Jenna Raformina. So I'm here this week with our leading age uh, summer enrichment intern, Jenna Reformina. Hi, Jenna. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. And we've, we've really loved having you as an intern this summer. I know uh, Megan uh, Bradford and uh, Laura Lamb have spoken so highly, and we were excited to have you uh, over the summer. And I, I wanted to start out... Um, you know, you came to us through Leading Age, which is a not-for-profit uh, organization that represents nonprofit senior services organizations um, like ours, uh, just for our li- listeners' benefit. Um, but I was wondering how you could talk, could kind of describe how you got involved and, and heard about this opportunity and what drew you to the industry of, uh, uh, of senior services. Sure. Um, So I initially wasn't looking specifically for an internship in senior services, but I felt like I found it at the perfect time and also at the perfect time in my life, um, specifically because I, you know, I'm getting close to graduating and I wasn't exactly sure what specifically I wanted to do and Mm kind of where I was going. Um, But I was looking for internships online, um, one this summer that would give me a chance to be in person. Um, I enjoy the part of a job where you get to meet with people, you get to interact with the people that you're serving as well. So that's really important to me. Um, But I initially came across this leading age internship, and it seemed very new to me. And um, it kind of had, you know, uh, mention and introduce um, that they're looking for le- looking to develop leaders in the senior living com- community. And then I kind of thought back and I was trying to think, I'm not sure when or even if I was introduced to senior living care um, or nursing, skilled nursing care as well. And I was thinking, why haven't we been taught about this? And why hasn't this been introduced to us um, as students in universities as a kind of job opportunity and a job option? Um, So that's really what drew me to senior living is the unknown and just wanting to get to know more about it. And also, just the growing industry that it is. So I was really interested in that aspect. That's, that's really awesome. And one of, one of the great, um, I think, things about this enrichment for our listeners is this, this program is really designed to bring people of diverse backgrounds and cultures uh, to this industry. So for our listeners, um, you, we're actually talking, you're, you're in Honolulu, uh, Hawaii right now, correct? Yes, I am. <laughs> Same. Right. So, so your 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 family background is uh, is probably very important to this, and and then Absolutely. you're going to school in in Creighton, um, uh, uh, as you mentioned to me earlier. Mm-hmm. So, just I, I think that that that's fascinating how how your journey came from Hawaii to Creighton to Cincinnati to ERS. Yes, and I never imagined myself moving to Nebraska, let alone, you know, looking possibly going to Ohio as well. So this is just such a huge opportunity that I'm really hoping to 
kind of take advantage of as well as, you know, be able to bring things back um, home here. There's not a lot in terms of senior living care. So Mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, one day I can also bring it back to my roots and, you know, give back to my community here as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so you started your uh, internship back in June uh, with ERS. Can you tell us a little bit about your your experience and the things that you've done uh, along the way? Sure. Um, my experience was very immersive. So, I was not only showing up like a regular internship. I was actually living in. Um, Marjorie Peely with um, some of the independent living residents as well. So that was a really neat part of this internship that I never thought that I would be able to do. Uh, It really kind of let me see, you know, more than just the job and how they're living after hours, after we're, you know, done working. Uh Um, So that really kind of gave me insight into the kind of things that they do, just activities and the kind of community that they have. Um, So that was probably the most interesting part to me, um, just kind of interacting with the residents. But I also had the opportunity to um, be, you know, shadow various people. Um, I know some internships, you kind of only stick with one department or you can, you kind of narrow in on one thing, but I had mentioned to Megan that I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I wanted to learn as much as I could Mm -hmm. in the little time that I was there about everything that was retirement living and senior living communities. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to pretty much, I want to say shadow pretty much every department, luckily. So that was very immersive in the sense that I was getting to go into meetings and kind of just learn, you know, the logistics of what they're doing, the everyday life of what they're doing. So that was really interesting. And then I also really liked um, participating in the living, like the life enrichment activities with the residents. I think that was probably the most meaningful part for me. Um, just getting to, you know, talk to the residents on a daily basis, visit the ones um, that remember me and just talk with pretty much everybody I see. So that was the most fun part. Yeah, I, I, I think even though I work in a, a marketing capacity, the, the ability to be able to build relationships and develop relationships is probably one of the most rewarding parts of this. Absolutely. This so, you know, g- given all those experiences and, and you mentioned you're coming close to the end of your college career, do you, what do you see yourself in, in terms of a career? Do you have a better idea of that because of this experience or, or, or just pursuing the industry in general? Definitely. I have a much clearer idea of what I want to do. Um, I, like I had mentioned before, I had the opportunity to shadow various departments. Mm -hmm. um, And what really stood out to me was, you know, um, shadowing Anthony, people like Anthony and Emerson at Dupree as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, health services administration was really what stood out to me, just being a leader Mm -hmm. and also being able to be flexible and being a part of, you know, promoting a dignified aging process for a lot of people is what really interested me. So I'm hoping um, to return back to Ohio at some point um, and kind of continue that education and and that experience as well. Right. So, you know, after all is said and done, how how did this experience impact you or make make you feel coming out of it? Sure. Um, Wow. This experience was 
probably the most amazing thing that I've done in terms of my professional career and even my service career. Um, I couldn't have imagined anything anything like this so it was really amazing but I think that it really changed the way that I see the aging process um I think a lot of people they kind of view aging as maybe you know something not to look forward to or um something that's maybe full of you know medical processes and stuff like that but being immersed in the community really showed me kind of the family that you can have within that community and the family that um, staff can provide and play a part in that as well. So I think it's really important. And with, you know, the growing aging population that we're going to have in the future, I, I hope to be a part of that. So I'm really looking forward to it. That's, that's great. So, so for others, and, and again, just kind of underlying the, the, the internship that it was opening an, um, up a, an industry um, that you had not a, a lot of knowledge of before this, but maybe to others that come from other diverse black backgrounds, whatever they may be, mm-hmm. what, what advice would you give to maybe a fellow student, maybe an undergrad that's a freshman or, or sophomore about this industry? Sure. I think that um, there are a lot of false perceptions about aging. So I would say if you have some type of in- interest in it, mm-hmm. just get involved. Like, I think that what won me over were the residents. I might've been intimidated in in the beginning um, of interacting with them, but they really won me over. And I think, yeah, I would just say kind of get involved in any way that you can, whether it be volunteering or just, you know, showing up to talk with them, anything like that. Yeah. And, and, and what, what do you think the impact of aging services has on our communities and our families after this experience, you living through this and working through it? Sure. I think that it's going to have a huge impact, especially in the future. Um, in Hawaii, I really haven't, we don't have a lot of senior living communities here. A lot of people are aging at home with their families, um, especially, you know, those who can't, you know, families, some families can't manage the health side of it and can't provide that care. So I think finding in the future, finding different ways to provide that care, whether it be um, middle market communities or even affordable living communities, kind of getting those out um, a little bit more, you know, into other communities that really need them are going to help. So I think that, yeah, I think that really studying and educating other people and other generations on what aging um, services provides and and what that service is, is really going to help sort of, you know, embody that care and and really improve it and promote it. Awesome. Well, Jenna, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on our podcast for this interview, and we wish you all the best of luck in your uh, your, your, your final time at, at Creighton and, and we're look forward to getting some updates to, to see where your journey ends up, uh, uh, in, you know, in the next phase of your life. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, Brian, I got to meet Jenna a few weeks ago at the cottages and, um, she is quite an impressive young lady. It was great to hear, um, her perspective on aging services. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, her, her enthusiasm is infectious and um, it, it's just interesting to hear the perspective from a young person that's interested in her background. 
you know, coming from, from Hawaii and, uh, and, and spending time uh, over here uh, on the mainland. So I really enjoyed, enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, I think we're all fortunate that somebody from Hawaii would want to uh, spend some time in Cincinnati, Ohio. So good for Jenna. Absolutely. Well, uh, that's it for this latest episode of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. For more information about us, you can visit our website at episcopalretirement.com. We have a lot of great content, including our Linkage online blog, resources to learn more about aging and the services we offer, and so much more. If you have any questions or feedback for us, please email us at info at erslife.org. We love hearing from our listeners. The Linkage Podcast is produced by Kristen Davenport and Brian Reynolds. Fiasha Davis is our associate producer. Our technical director is Michelle Hain. I'd like to thank our guests today, including Pearson Davis and Jenna Reformina, and a special thank you as always to President and CEO Laura Lamb. On behalf of myself, Brian Reynolds, and Kristen Davenport, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to uh, joining our podcast uh, next time. <laughs>